You guys just look beautiful in that video, so can you just go ahead and clap for yourselves because you guys make this look like a place that I want to be. Um, good morning, FCF Church. It's so good to see you guys back here again this morning. If you are new around here or you're here for the first time, this is such a good Sunday for you to be here because we are going to be talking this morning all about why it is that we do what we do, why we exist. And this is such a good opportunity for you to get a glimpse behind the curtains of why we're here and why we open up our doors every Sunday morning. And for those who, of you who've been around for a while, it's just a good refresher and a good reminder for all of us of why it is we do what we do. I think so often we get all of these uh, pictures and caricatures of what the church used to be or what people expect the church to be or what people think the church is or what people think the church should be. That it just kind of gets twisted and distorted sometimes. So this is just bringing us all back to this focus of why it is we exist. Why do we do this thing that has come to be called church? And to cut right to it, I'm going to tell you, we exist to help people in the Frederick area reach their full redemptive potential in Christ. We exist to help people in the Frederick area reach their full redemptive potential in Christ. And the reason that this is our mission instead of something else, the reason that this is our mission is because when you look at the overarching narrative of Scripture, this is God's mission the reason we care about people's potential, the reason we want to see people reach their potential is because God believes in people's potential, because it was God who created them with potential in the first place. When we look all the way back at this ancient manuscript that was written over 3,500 years ago, it reveals this God, and, and the ideas, the way that it depicts this God, were just theological light years ahead of any human thought that had come on the scene at that point in time. That this, that this account that we've come to call Genesis, that is in the Old Testament portion of our Bibles right after the table of contents, that in this account that has come to be called Genesis, we encounter a God who exists outside of his creation, which is just beyond anything that any human mind or any religious system had ever conceived of before that time. We suddenly encounter this God that exists outside of his creation, is not constrained by creation, and not only that, this God creates humankind in his own image. That there is a God who created us to be like him. He created us to express his character, and he created us to experience existence like he, God, experiences existence. Then like a good and loving father, he doesn't force himself on us, he doesn't impose himself upon us, he gives us free choice. We can either choose to live out our lives his way or we can go our own way. And we know what happens, we know the story, we know how it goes. It's, it's what's been going on ever since, that we as humanity have chose to just figure it out for ourselves. We want to stab at it, we want to find out what life's all about, and we want to explore it on our own. And sometimes we've stumbled on to the right answer and we've gotten things right and things have worked out for us. But more often than not, what we have found is that the choices we make, the decisions that we make, they end up 
causing this distrust and insecurity and fear and all of it compounds into these values and habits and attitudes that come to distort the image of God in us. And at best, it constrains our potential. At worst, it causes us to suffer and it causes others to suffer. And God, like a good father, does what he had always planned to do that our good and loving Father who was watching this play out, who was watching and waiting patiently for the perfect time, comes and does what he had always planned to do. And we read about it from a person named John. John, who 60 years after the fact, is exiled to an island because of what he was teaching. And the things that he was teaching weren't based on what he heard or what somebody told him, but it was based on what he saw with his own two eyes. And in exile on this island, he writes, this account of what had happened 60 years before. After 60 years of thinking and reflecting under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he writes this account of what God has done. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Because John, based on what he saw with his own two eyes, was convinced that his friend Jesus was so much more than just his friend Jesus. That his friend Jesus was the creator God in flesh who had come to show us what he was like. And he came and he calmed storms and he fed the hungry and he healed the sick and he gave sight to the blind he welcomed in people who were told there was no way that any God would ever love them. And he welcomed them in. And he hung out with prostitutes. And he spent time with sinners. And he ate with tax collectors. And those who'd been, who's, who'd been marginalized based, based on ethnicity and based on gender, he pulled them in and he embraced them and he elevated them. And John, looking back on this 60 years after the fact, concluded that if this is who God is, then God is love. That at the very core of his being, the very essence of his nature is love. That God had come into the world to show us what he's like. And what we find out is that who God is is exactly who we'd want him to be if we could pick what kind of God we wanted to exist that the kind of God that does exist is exactly the kind of God that we would want to exist. That he loves everybody all the time, no matter what. And what is even more spectacular, I think, than all of this, is that this God who's come in the person of Jesus Christ to show us exactly what he's like, to show us that his character is love, invites us to follow him. That he didn't just come to show us who God is. He didn't just come to make what was once spiritual physical. He didn't come to just take what was once invisible and make it visible. He had come not only to show us who God is, but to show us who he created us to be. And he invites us to follow him. Just like when you were a kid and you played follow the leader and it was do what I do and step where I step and walk like I walk. That's what Jesus came to do. He said, I have come to show you who I created you to be, to teach you how to love the way that I created you to love, the way that I love. Follow me. Watch what I do. Do what I do. Care about people the way that I care about people. Love people the way that I love people. Because as we follow him and we learn to love the way that he loves, we become reconformed to the image 
that God created us in. We become the people that he created us to be. And we discover the way that life was designed to work. The only way life can work is when we learn to live the way that God created us to love, the way that he loves. It's the only way life can work. It's the only way relationships can work. It's the only way organizations can function. It's the only way civilizations can exist is when people love the way that God created us to love. And what we find when we do it when we follow him and, and we learn to love this way, we find that at the end of the day, it's the only thing that can truly make our hearts and our souls fully and completely happy. And then Jesus casts this vision. He says, I'm going to take, during his ministry, he said, I'm going to take everybody who follows me, everybody who's interested in aligning themselves with my way of love and learning how to love the way I created them to love. I'm going to take all of them and I'm going to make them into an, and he uses the Greek word, ekklesia, which just means a called out assembly or a community. I'm going to take everybody who wants to align themselves with my way of love and I'm going to make them into a community. It eventually became translated as the word church, but it just means community. I'm going to take everybody who wants to live this way. I'm going to make them into communities. And then in the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he's having one last meal with his disciples. And he tells them, this is what's going to set this community apart, this community that I'm going to build. This is what's going to set them apart and make them different from everybody else in the world. It makes everybody else in the world look at them and say, those must be followers of Jesus. Those must be followers of the way of his truth and his love. And Jesus says this, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is going to be what's distinctive about you that sets you apart from the rest of the world. How you love one another. He says, I'm going to take the people who are won over by my way of love, who want to align themselves with my way of love, and I'm going to make them into communities and I'm going to put on display for the whole world to see what it looks like when people live in alignment with my way of love. And the people will know you. They will know that you're my students, my followers, people who align themselves with my ways. They'll know you not based on what you know or what you're against or what you hate or your politics, but they're going to know you. They're going to recognize you based on how you love one another that Jesus was going to take this way of living and form communities that would showcase for the entire world, this is what it looks like when people love, when life is lived out the way that I designed it to be lived out. And then Jesus, the next day, went to the cross, allowed his creation to nail him to a cross, which was the ultimate demonstration of self-sacrificial love. It was the greatest being in the universe, willing to die for his own creation, to show us that if he's willing to die for us, then he is above and beyond all for us. And three days later, rose from the dead, just like he said he would, because if he didn't, Christianity would have stopped dead in its tracks right there, because nobody, nobody was going to follow a crucified Messiah. But the Christian movement grew and grew because they saw with their own eyes Jesus alive from the dead. And he pulls his 11 disciples aside, and he says to them, all authority all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, go and make students, go and make followers of my way, of my way of love. Make followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them, teach them to obey 
everything I have commanded you. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are love God and love others. He said everything else hangs on those two. Everything else is in support of those two. Every other commandment that I've given you is application of how to love. And so he's telling his 11 disciples, go out into all the world and teach them my way of love, who I created you to be. Make them my followers. Show them the way that I've created and designed life to work. And the first thing his 11 disciples do, because they understood his vision, they understood his strategy, the first thing that they did was they went out and they started a church. And we read about this church in the book of Acts, which is written by a man named Luke, who is friends with eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and was himself an eyewitness of the events that happened after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And he describes the first church this way. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' teaching about this God who is love and teaching about the way of love and how to live the way that he created us to live. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, which just means community. They created a community that loved one another, that collectively leveraged their best to serve the best of each other. They created this community the way that God designed people to love, and they put it on display for the rest of the world to see, and they invited them in, anybody, regardless of who they are or where they're coming from or what they believe or the mistakes that they made. And it was so irresistible, it was so irresistible that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those who are being saved from a life that was below their potential. Those who are being saved from living a life that was distorting the image of a loving God in them. Being saved to discover their potential. Discover who God created them to be. Discover how to love the way that God designed them to love. And it was irresistible. And it grew. And the numbers daily grew. Because God knew God knew that communities that teach the truth clearly and attractively about the true character of God, the true loving character of God, communities that teach that clearly and teach people how to love the way that God created us to love, and communities that demonstrate that love and express the heart of God to the world around them, communities like that are irresistible. They're irresistible because they demonstrate the way that life was created to work. And God knew that the primary means for achieving this, the primary means for convincing this world that this is the best way to live, that this is how God created us to live, the best way to convince the world of that was by creating communities that put it on display for everybody to see and invited them into it. There are a lot of organizations on this earth, a lot of organizations that do good work, critical work, essential work. But there is no other organization on the face of this earth that has the charter that the church has to be a community of people that teaches the true character of a God of love and then lives it out and puts it on display and invites people into it. There's no other organization that does that. It is God's chosen means to help people discover their potential as we collectively leverage our best 
to serve each other, we discover our potential and we elevate others towards their potential so they can leverage their best to serve others. And we live together in love and discover our potential in Christ. That is who God intended the church to be and that's what he intended for us to do. And there's no one else on earth that's doing that. And over the past 2,000 years, it's proven to be irresistible and it's proven to be unstoppable. And if you're anything like me, you've experienced the impact of it. When I walked into this church 13 years ago, I would have described myself at best as agnostic. And what I discovered here was a community of people who loved me before I loved God and before I loved them back, who created a safe place for me to ask questions, a safe place for me to seek God on my own and at my own pace, a safe place where I wasn't judged for my past, I wasn't judged for the decisions I had made or was making, a place where I was welcomed and, and loved as I was. And it gave me the opportunity to discover God authentically without any pressure and make an authentic decision to trust him and follow him fully and opportunities to grow and develop. And I know I'm not the only one. I know there are many of you here this morning that you have similar stories to that because you've experienced the impact of the local church. And here's the truth. There's so many more yous and me's out there. There's so many more people just like you and just like me who are just waiting to discover a God of love, waiting to discover with clarity the truth about who God is and who he created them to be. People who are waiting to be invited into a community that lives out that love and is willing to leverage their best for the best of those they're inviting in. There are people out there waiting for it. There are people out there that God has tagged that he knows are open. People out there that he created in his image with potential to become who he created them to be. People out there waiting for transformation. Families waiting for transformation. Organizations waiting for transformation. There are people outside of here that God has set aside tasks and works for them to accomplish. And they're just waiting for the local church to reach out and connect with them. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And it seems like what needs to happen is some big thing. That for us to make that happen as an organization, that we have to do something big. Because how do we tackle this? How do we accomplish that if we don't do something big? But here's the truth. We can accomplish this through one small thing. There's one small thing that we can do that will make such a big impact on that. And Jesus models this for us, this one small thing. And I wanna share it with you guys briefly this morning, this thing that Jesus models, and then we're gonna wrap up. But this thing that Jesus models, it's so small that we'd just be tempted to overlook it and walk past it and think, what's that even gonna matter? But it has such huge implications and such huge potential for impact. So we're gonna take a look at this one small thing that Jesus models for us, 
to explain to you what's going on here when we come to this one small thing that he does. Let me just give you a picture of what's happening. Because before Jesus' ministry started, there was a man named John the Baptist who was, for lack of a better word, essentially Jesus' promoter. He was getting everybody ready for the arrival and the ministry of Jesus. And so he'd been going around and preaching and getting everybody pumped up about the fact that the Messiah was about to arrive. And so then Jesus shows up. And John, who's been developing this following of people and getting them all pumped up about Jesus' arrival, now his job is to offload them onto Jesus. And when we come into this passage that we're looking at today, that's what's going on. John's offloading people to Jesus because that's the one that he'd come to connect them with in the first place. And here's what it says. In John 35, it says, John 1, 35, it says, the next day John was there, John the Baptist, not John the writer of this account, but John the Baptist. Two different Johns, two people can have the same name, John. Confused me when I first became a follower of Jesus, but <laughs> now I understand it. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So here's John with his disciples, and he's saying, look, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one that I was telling you about. That's the one that I was getting ready, you ready for. So leave me. I must become less. He must become more. You follow him. And here's what happened. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? Which sounds like he's kind of paranoid. Like, why are you creepers like all up on me and all like in my business? And like, why are you bothering me? But that's not what's going on here. Jesus is asking them a much deeper, much more soul penetrating question. He's asking them, what is it that you want? Truly, deeply, at the core level of your being, what is it that you're after? What are you looking for? And here's what they say. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? <laughs> which isn't really an answer to his question because he asked them what they wanted and they didn't know. They didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know what they were after. So they just answered his question with another question. They're like, I don't know. Where are you living at? Because they didn't know what they were after. They didn't really know exactly what they were looking for. They didn't have an answer to the question. They were just kind of lost. And Jesus could have done something huge here. There were times when Jesus did do huge things, and he could have done something huge here. I mean, Jesus could have called, I mean, he was the creator God. He could have called lightning down out of the sky and been like, put out, I'm God. Now bow down and follow me, right? He could have, he could have like gone down a list of all the sins that these guys had ever done, the things that they were embarrassed and ashamed of, and been like, I know all of this because I am God. Now you better get right with me, right? He could have done any number of big things. He could have done something miraculous, you know, to convince them that he was who he claimed to be. He could have unfolded the answers of the universe. He could have done any kind of big thing. But instead, he does something small. Something so small that when we read this account, we're just so inclined to just read right over it, not even notice what he did. It was something so small that it only took like a handful of seconds in the course of human history that it's just easy to walk past and look over and not even notice. What Jesus did was he said, come, come and you will see. Just come, come and see. He didn't try to answer their deepest questions. He didn't try to give them challenges that they could never meet. 
He just said, come. Come and see. It's just a small, simple invitation. But it had such a huge impact. Because one of those guys was a man named Andrew. And Andrew went and saw and became intrigued. Intrigued to the point that he went to his brother who was named Peter and said, Peter, I found this guy who invited me to come and see. Could he be the Messiah? And then he invited his brother Peter. Why don't you come and see? And we've heard of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' core disciples who became a leader in the early church. And one day, Peter, who was invited to come and see, was preaching after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, was preaching, and a crowd of 3,000 people became followers of Jesus that day because they were so won over by this God of love who was inviting them to learn how to love the way he created them to love. And one of those people among those 3,000 was a man named Philip who was so won over by the beauty of the church that he decided that this movement has to spread. And so he goes to another other city to plant a church so that other people can see this community of love living the way that God created them to live. And he plants a church in a place called Antioch. And that church grows as people find the love of God irresistible and they're drawn into it. And that church grows and they decide we need to plant another church. So they send someone out to plant another church and that man's name was Paul. And Paul didn't just plant one church. He planted church after church after church. And those churches planted churches. And those churches planted churches to the point that there was hardly anywhere you could go in the Roman Empire and not find a church church that couldn't trace its lineage back to a man named Paul. And it grew to the point that around 323 AD, when Constantine was watching the Roman Empire become divided in two, was trying to figure out, what is the common thread that runs throughout my entire empire that if I just pull that one thread, it's going to pull my whole empire together? And everywhere that he looked, after 300 years of trying to snuff out this movement, after 300 years of trying to put Christianity to death, 300 years later when Constantine surveyed his empire, the thing that he saw everywhere that he looked were Christians and churches. And it became the thing that he leveraged to unite his empire. And that was the impact of Christianity and the way that it grew and the impact of the church putting on display for everyone to see this irresistible love of God. And all of that, all of that, so much of that can be traced back to this one small invitation that Jesus made to just come, come and see. This is something you can do. This is something that I can do. To just invite somebody to come and see. Here's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see that one small invitation can produce a huge transformation. One small invitation can create a huge, 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 huge transformation. You have no idea of the, the power of one small invitation to come and see. There's something we can do. We can invite somebody this year to just come and see. And if you question whether or not this can really have an impact, if you're like, yeah, but what's it really going to matter? Let me tell you. I'm going to give you one example among many that I know exist. One small example from within our church, among many. One small example of the power of one invitation to just come and see. Years and years ago, when... The church was still meeting back at the elementary school. There was a family who was looking for a church to attend. And they'd gone to a church that morning. They didn't really like it that much. And they were driving on their way home. And they saw one of the signs that FCF Church had put out that essentially said, hey, we have a church. Why don't you come and see? And so the service was meeting in the next couple of minutes. They decided, we'll go check it out. 
So they went and checked it out. They really liked it. They got connected. They got plugged in. The wife actually came on staff uh, at FCF Church, and her name is Debbie McCrory. And Debbie McCrory runs the Sprouts Ministry, which is for the little kids' nursery to pre-K ministry. And I will tell you, I have been so blessed by this ministry. Every time my kids come home and I say, what did you learn in Sprouts today? And they say, we learned to trust you, Dad. I'm like, yes, yes, love that ministry. But seriously, when they come home and I ask them what they learn in Sprouts, and they say, we learned that God loves us even when we're bad. I'm like, yes, I love that place. My kids have been so blessed by it. I have been so blessed by that ministry and the leadership that Debbie McCroy has exerted over that. And if your children have been blessed by this ministry, if you, or if you've been blessed by this ministry, can I just hear you this morning? Right. Invited by a sign, they came to church, they came to FCF, and they had an impact here. They had neighbors at the time, and the McCrory's, and me talking with their neighbors one day, said, hey, by the way, we just got plugged into this church that we really like a lot. You know, you should just come and see. You just come and see. And so this family that had lived next door to them were like, we don't have anything to lose. So they attended, and they liked it, and they got pulled in, and they got connected, that family was the Zirkles. The parents were Tracy and Burl Zirkle, who are now on staff leading the Fusion, our middle school ministry. And I will tell you, that ministry has been such a blessing to me. It is where I first started serving in this church, and they just pulled me in and embraced me and just allowed me to take ownership over the ministry with them. They reinforced and encouraged God's giftings that he had given me and gave me opportunities to deploy them. And so much of who I am today is in thanks to the blessing that they were to me and let me ask you, if you have middle school students or your family has been blessed by the fusion ministry or they've come home from a retreat just changed and encouraged or they come home from the lessons just pumped up about the connections they have there, if you've been blessed by the fusion ministry, can I just hear you this morning? So the Zirkles came because somebody invited them to come and see and then they had friends who were had children in the same preschool that they had their children in. And talking to them one day, Tracy asked them, she said, hey, you know, we have this church that we started going to. We really like it. You guys should come and see. Week after week after week, she invited them to come and see. Eventually, she wasn't getting a response. And so she called the, the, the wife of that family that she had been talking to. And she just said on the phone, hey, I'm going to small group tonight. Do you want to come and see? Just a simple invitation. I mean, she went... Maybe a little too far, because she was like, I'm going to come to your house now and take you there, which is maybe <laughs> borderline kidnapping. But it started out with an invitation. She came, got connected. The family came, got connected, got really connected. She is now on staff. Her name is Kelly Suggs, and she oversees the experience team, with, which runs the environment in this room. And if you've been blessed by the experience team and what they do to help us connect with God on Sunday mornings, can I hear you? Then her son, Austin Suggs, who grew up through the church and did an internship here while he was in high school, we hired him on, and he now runs our um, digital marketing. And so if you've seen stuff through Facebook or Instagram that's inspired you or encouraged you or impacted you in some way, can I just hear you? Yeah. If any of these people have impacted you, can I just hear you all? 
because of one small invitation, because of one small invitation to just come and see. What if all of us decided to do that? What if all of us decided just to invite one person, one family this year to just come and see? You know what would happen? We have about 1,600 people who attend this church every Sunday. If we all invited one person and half of those people responded and came, and then half of those people who responded and came actually stuck around, this year we'd grow from a church of 1,600 to a church of 2,000. And if we did the exact same thing the following year and got the exact same results, we'd grow to a church of 2,500 and a church of 3,100 the following year. And I know a lot of people accuse us, well, you're just all about the numbers. You're just all about being a big church. Yeah, you bet we are because every single one of those numbers is a human being, is somebody that was created in the image of God, that God wants to transform their lives and use them to transform the lives of other, others. Every single one of those people, every single one of those numbers is somebody that God has named, that he has an assignment for, and has things that he wants to impact this community through. Every single one of those people matters. And we have the power to invite them. And we have so many opportunities coming up where we can invite somebody to just come and see. We have Rediscover Sunday coming up on September 23rd, which is a great opportunity to invite a family because not just come to church, but come to church and we'll give you free lunch and a pony ride, right? <laughs> That's coming up. We have growth group catalogs on the seats. Growth groups are launching at the end of September. That's a great opportunity to invite somebody. Just come and see. Come see this community of people that I, I, I know that they'll just embrace you in and we're just kind of exploring this area of our lives to get better at it. Just come and see. We have the third service launching on October 7th, which is a great opportunity to invite someone who might not be able to come on Sunday morning to just say, hey, we have this new opportunity for you to just come and see. So many opportunities, so much impact, just waiting on the invitation to come and see. Will you pray with me, FCF Church? Father, we come before you this morning and we know that there are people on your heart, people who are not here yet, people who are not connected yet, people who don't know your love and the plan that you have for their lives yet, who are just waiting for us to reach out and just invite them to come and see. Father, we can't imagine the dreams that you have for those people and for this church and the impact that you want to have. And so we just pray that you, embolden, you would embolden us and give us those opportunities to invite those people to come and see. We pray all of it. In the name of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Will you worship with us?